Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. We're very fortunate to have Thomas McGregor on the show tonight. He works in civic and corporate consulting. I think that's the easiest way to describe it, but I'm going to let Thomas introduce what he does and also where he can find you can find him on social media. Thomas, can you give them that information? Absolutely. And thanks for having me. I'm really excited to help you guys out and sort of give some of you guys some insights into what I do. What really it is, is corporate and civic consulting at its base is we take the messaging and the marketing and the optics of the situation. So what we were talking about before we went on air is not necessarily optics is like ideal in glasses, but optics is how people see what you're doing. We all live in our own little bubbles. And so what we do is we help you step out that outside that bubble and make sure that what you think you're putting out there actually is what's going out there and what and that's how people are going to see it. And sometimes there's little nuanced little changes that you can make. When it comes to civic leaders, you can say one thing and then answer another question a little different and it can move you to a different spot in the political spectrum. If you're a corporate leader and you're introducing a new product or a new service, you might mean it this way, but you say something just a little bit different and it means something different. That hits different demographics, that impacts different people different ways and it can also impact your sales. Yeah. Um, It's really interesting to me. I'm always going to draw it back to my own perspective. Uh, Before I forget, can you tell them where they can find you? Do you have a website? Yeah, we do have have a website. You can go to the actusgroup.com. Actus is Latin for action. So A-C-T-U-S, theactusgroup.com. There's a ton of stuff on there. And then you can search me on LinkedIn under my name, which is Thomas McGregor. I'm 100% open to questions, inquiries, collaborations. We do a free evaluation. So if you have a pitch or an email or a speech that you're getting ready to give and you want us to look it over, we do it for completely free. And there's an absolutely, absolutely zero obligation. Uh, do you work with, um, so corporate and civic, do you work with companies or organizations of like a certain size typically? Uh, actually, no, we work with a big spectrum. And the reason for that is, is because it's a learning thing for us. So we learn different things from different people because people are constantly changing and we're in like the people business. So if we're working with a small entity on how to position a product or how to position a product launch or how to position a product launch where you get up and say something that helps us learn about maybe a smaller demographic because they're working with a very small and fresh and new customer base. And yeah. so really, it doesn't really matter the, the size. I mean, we work with civic leaders that are running for office for the first time and people that are seasoned professionals that have ran for office, you know, 20, 30 years. Some of the, the biggest insights I've seen in my business are from when people from outside my industry come in and take a look and they see one or two things and go, hey, this and bring my attention to it. And I go, yeah, what's the deal? Yeah. Change, change the language here. Watch this. And I yeah. try it and people respond differently where I go, wow, like I didn't realize. So from a messaging standpoint, like certain language. Right. Well, let's give an example. So let's say you're uh, launching a new service. Okay. So you're launching a new service and the, in, in the title of your release, your press release will say um, XYZ company launching a new service. XYZ date. That's very basic, right? Now, what if it said XYZ? Let's just say um, the the uh, I don't know. Let's let's think of a name. Let's say the United Company, okay, is launching a new product that helps this types of person. What that does is that really let's just talk about positioning, not really verbiage. What that does is that positions your product in a solution stance, right? Well, what if it's not just a solution? What if it's also a solution to a problem and also takes over another solution that maybe somebody else is already paying for? What you need to then do is change that title to communicate that not only is this a solution to a problem that's already there, but we're also taking over a whole other solution that you have. So it's like a two-for-one type of thing. So those little slight changes can make a huge impact because you're going to impact the people that need the solution that you're advertising about. And then you're going to get the people that already have that other solution that you're also now taking care of, if that makes sense. So those little changes, those little dialing in can make a huge impact. And I always go back to Apple as a perfect example. They have a really great marketing strategy with how they start to release the new iPhone. How they do it is they do a slow trickle into the blogs and then they do a build-up to the big announcement. And what people don't understand is in that marketing cycle, 
when that big announcement for the iPhone happens, that's actually the middle of the cycle. See what happens is they do this slow leak, they do the announcement of the date for the big, you know, when, he, when Tim Cook gets up there in front of everybody, then they do that big release, then they set the date for the release, and they then they do all their marketing then, people line up around, and then the end of the cycle is when that phone is sold. Their marketing cycle is from that blog release to the sale of the new iPhone. And then the new iPhone, then the next sale is going to be for the new iPhone. They're already starting to trickle out currently for iPhone 12. It's pretty amazing. And if everybody remembers, iPhone 11 was just, seems like it was just released not too long ago. And the way they do it is they position the product, doing it that way to make it feel like it's a grassroots effort. So think about that. When it trickles out through the blogs, it's not this huge announcement by a trillion dollar company. It's a small little trickle. People start percolating and talking about it. It makes you feel like a good sense of community. It makes you feel like it's part of a grassroots effort. And it makes it seem less big. It makes it seem much more personal when it's this huge trillion dollar company. Pretty magical when you think about it. When we go into um, more of like a civic space, um, mm -hmm. when you're dealing with, say, like politics, um, how does that transfer? That's not an area that I'm extremely familiar with, so I'm interested to hear you talk about that. Like, uh, say you're working on like campaigns. Are you doing that? Sure, absolutely. We're currently working on several campaigns in the, in the Texas area. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the question is, but the difference here is a lot more uh, stance-oriented. So where do you stand on something? So somebody can say, say that they're very, very pro. Here, here's a perfect example, and this is something that actually draws on uh, personal experience of a recent interaction with a client, and that is you could say I'm very pro doorknob. I don't want to ruffle any feathers, so I'm not going to say anything specific. <laughs> let's, say, let's say you're very pro doorknob. You like opening doors with doorknobs, okay? So you could say, so somebody asks you, okay, well, what's your stance on doorknobs? You say I'm pro doorknob. Well, that's great, but that doesn't actually use any information to back up your claim. So where that positions you is somebody that just has personal opinions. But if I said, I'm pro doorknobs because my dad was a doorknob salesman and a small business owner, what does that do? I literally added two different sentences, and what that does establishes credibility and personal experience and somebody that might have knowledge of having a small business. So the difference is huge and you're just changing something slightly. It's pretty magical stuff really. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's a different realm. Um, I'm not extremely politically astute either at the state level or federal. So it's interesting to see how things would be packaged. Um, I've had conversations with people about, for instance, like debate where I feel like debate is almost dead in the culture, but slogans, you know, four more years, yeah, things right. that are easily chantable. It's like, who really, you know, stands up and says, I'm against freedom? No right. one. But well, it's like, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say debates are interesting. I think they're coming back, but there's more of a problem. With, the thing is, is and I, you know, I've taken debate. I, I, I currently do a lot of that stuff already just, you know, for, for my own professional and, and fun. I love doing it. And what's happened is the skill of debate has kind of been lost. That's the problem. And so you watch all the debates on both sides. Doesn't matter, you know. You watch the debates on you know both sides now, and it's just name calling, right? Yeah. And that kind of turns people off. There's not really a discussion debate. If you root it back to where it came from, it came from the Socratic method with Socrates, and it really was about a discussion. It was about working through the issues to flesh out maybe the best idea. And that's actually where the idea of Congress and Senate and their debate style really came from. If you look at the history of our government, it was about them literally back in, back in the very beginning where the founders constructed. They were yelling at each other across the aisle, but it was debating. They were trying to flesh out the best idea. So we have kind of lost that because people now are just, they're just calling names. So, yeah, now you have a slogan. So you can distill it down into whatever it is, 90, 40, 120 characters on, on, on um on Twitter, then yeah, absolutely. You can say four more years, make America great again is obviously a popular one around these, around this time. Also, you know, win with Warren with Elizabeth Warren. That's a good one. You know, 
you got to think what is something that sticks. But the, 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 I think the key with campaign slogans, really, to be honest with you, is the emotional connection. And that's probably the key to any successful uh, political campaign is that emotional connection. So when it comes to slogans in business, if you have a small business and you're looking to hit a slogan, like ours literally is position to win. That's our slogan. It's really easy. It makes sense. You understand exactly what it means. And so if you're looking to refine that slogan, make sure that there's that emotional connection. People making uh, fiscal decisions, purchase decisions, brand-based decisions based on emotion is something that's really interesting to me. Mm. And I've, I've tried to look at uh, various products and services and the sort of emotional responses people have to branding because they're drawn again and again, like you mentioned, the iPhone. I mean, it's a, a smartphone. Like you could buy any smartphone that would accomplish the same task, but people have an emotional response to Apple products, which is kind of infused into their brand. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, the thing, the thing about Apple, that's a perfect example, is they don't feel like a big company. So I want, I want people that are watching and listening to this, really think about that. This company currently has billions of dollars in cash on hand, and they're worth a trillion dollars. Okay, But they don't feel like a trillion dollar company. Okay, so if they don't, question is why? And the reason is, is their marketing, their branding, their messaging, their positioning, the optics of the brand. Like I said in the very beginning, that leaking out into the blogs really, you know, at the very, you know, very beginning stages of the marketing for the new phone makes you feel like you're a part of something that's not so big. It's very interesting. And, you know, in the future, the marketing textbooks are going to be writing about how Apple, if they haven't already, how Apple positioned themselves apple a trillion dollar company has positioned themselves to feel like a virtual tech startup this is also a very startup friendly environment you have to understand that as well so everybody pretty much you know people are investing in like not investing i mean they're like using they're they're using places like monday.com and slack and these and these companies are just kind of bubble up and finally working out the bubbles well it's a very startup in a tech startup friendly environment well, it's perfect for Apple to set its positioning as feeling like a startup. And so that's what they've done. And so if anybody could take anything from that, you can flip it either way. You can make yourself feel bigger than you are, but then you'd have obviously have to execute on those demands. Or if you're kind of large, maybe you want to consider maybe making yourself feel a little bit smaller, like what Apple's done. See, it all comes down to feeling. You can have a trillion dollar company and make it seem like it's a huge company. Oh, so many different uh, sort of marketplace uh, positions. I'm used to thinking of business, of course, from my own business itself, not as much from like the level of political campaigns or larger companies uh, like Apple, um, at least not from the inside. Um, I really wonder what it means for small, like uh, smaller local businesses, uh, say in Austin, as far as like building emotional brand, building emotional resonance around the brands that we have in the local Austin community. Well, I think what it comes down to is understanding what first, and this is kind of generic, but let's just start there. You know, understanding what your brand is about. Now, the first thing to understand that is that you believe in what you're doing because, because you love it. Because you love it, you believe in it, and you're sold on it. That doesn't mean everybody else is, and that's kind of the blind spot of a lot of business people. And a lot of small business owners are just totally sold on it. And so they kind of assume that everybody else is going to. Like, this is the best thing ever. You know, this, you got you to try this. you got to try this, right? Now, it may be, but you have to have that initial connection first, and that happens with the branding. So when the, when it comes to branding and marketing and having that emotional connection, you have to first ask the question, what do I want somebody feel? What do I want them to feel when I have that first interaction with them? Your branding and marketing, you have to understand your branding and marketing is that first interaction. It's that first time you meet somebody. And so if you are a lifestyle brand, you might want bright colors and a warm, inviting slogan. If you're a restaurant, let's say a sushi restaurant, you're going to want, again, colorful, colorful things that help bring people in, but also convey the message through colors, through words, and it conveys the message that your branding will eventually 
obviously execute on when you commit to that service or that product. A perfect example is a small business here in Austin that I absolutely love called Bento Picnic. And what they do is they do bento boxes and it's amazing, amazing food. And they, and they use, maybe it's a salad or something. It's not necessarily sushi, the classic bento box that everybody knows about, but they like salad and stuff like that. And it's really, really good, all organic and, you know, gluten-free and low sugar. And it's, it's, and it's really good food. Well, the cool thing about it is the branding is very simple. It's very vibrant, white and red. That's all the colors are. And it's called Bento Picnic. So it's like it gives you that sense of a picnic, of a light day. You know, you're out, you're in the sun, you're having a good meal. And the branding itself sends that message and it's warm and inviting. And you come in and it matches the brand specifically. So I would first ask, what is, what is my brand about? Well, how, how does it make me feel? Then the last question is, how can I convey that feeling through my marketing and branding um, with colors and words? And don't, go, don't try to be clever. Like literally, how does it feel? And what colors kind of resonate with that? What words resonate with that? What will somebody look at it and go, wow, that looks exciting. Or wow, that looks warm and inviting. Or whatever, that, whatever your brand makes you feel, you want that connection. It makes me wonder how much of consumer decisions are based off of logic and reason and how much are based off of emotional feed. In other words, emotional charge. Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, the, the, the axiom is simply this. Okay. So we buy on emotion and back it up with logic. You know, I mean, if, if you've ever bought a pizza, if you ever bought a pizza, that's how it works. It's like, man, I really want a pizza. I'll have, you know, I'll go on the diet tomorrow. I mean, you, that's how we buy very few decisions when it comes to consumerism is really lay, laid down into logic. I mean, you're going to have some things like maybe insurance and, you know, gas and, you know, very not fun, entertaining things to buy are going to be things that are going to be bought on quote unquote logic. And even so, I mean, you might need gas to get to work and, you know, you have to go to work in order to get it, have the job and then you have to have the job to have the paycheck and you have to the paycheck in order to go see the movie on Saturday. I mean, you might even have that chain, a reaction of thought, you know, that's sort of like if I don't go to then I don't have a house and then I don't, you know, and then there's pride, pride is an emotion, you know, maybe you've built up a life and you have to sustain that life. So, you know, I think majority of it, I would say 98% of it is going to be emotionally based first and then backed up with logic. That's why I was saying with your marketing branding, how does your business make you feel? Then convey that through that first steps of that somebody's walking through the door or that first impression, which is going to be those colors and those words. You know, picking a business name is going to be very important. That's why ours is called Actus, taking action, where we help people. What we say is our internal motto in the business is we help people move to your side of the table. They might not agree with everything, but we're going to help them move to see things from your point of view. So I think that's very important. But yeah, I would say 98% of the time, it's going to be emotional at first. So you have to appeal to those emotions by conveying them the emotion you feel about your business. How long have you been working within this realm and industry? I've been working in sales and marketing for years. And so I actually started out in the financial industry making phone calls, you know, and yeah. so that's what you do. You know, you make phone calls about insurance and financial products, um, everything from cold calls to warm calls to sitting down with clients. And um, I, I had a, a really great mentor that helped me with that out of Omaha, Nebraska, and really sort of showed me, showed me the ropes. But, and something that you have to learn when you're doing that is understanding where somebody is coming from. So that's the first part of my job currently is to say, okay, where is the person that you're trying to influence? Where, where are they seeing things? What, what is their point of view? And then that's where you start to match what you're doing to that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I always um, look at this, but I look at it as very much like, I would say an amateur, meaning I don't have uh, the time or inclination to do it for my profession itself. It's just from my business, but trying to understand my own consumers as far as clients, students, and trying to understand what makes them tick. Like, why are they purchasing a course or not purchasing a course? Is it a financial decision, emotional decision? What are the keywords that they're searching on Google? There's so many factors and layers from business to business. Right. And I would, you know, just to speak to, you know, why I think money. Okay. So here's the thing with money. All right. Let's just, we can talk about that for just a second, because this will help a lot of the folks that, you know, you, that are, are going to be watching this. 
when it comes to money and spending money, it's obviously an emotional decision. You know, people have emotional, maybe thermostat, if you will, about money. You know, they have a limit to what they want to spend on something. And if it's a uh, extracurricular activity, there's kind of a limit to that. You know, we like to say we use budgets and work with that. Sometimes that's not always true. But when it comes to money, it's emotional, right? So you, what has to happen, and this is pretty much the end-all be-all, okay? So this will solve any of your sales problems. If you really have problems with sales, if you're watching this, this will really, really help you. Your offer, whatever it is, has to be emotionally more valuable to them than the money that they're going to spend on it. So if you have a $1,000 product, whatever you're doing has to be emotionally worth more than $1,000, so it doesn't necessarily mean value per se. It doesn't mean you have to stack a bunch of stuff in your offer. It doesn't. It means it has to do maybe the one thing they can't figure out how to do. I have found that more times than not, when I'm working with clients, clients put me on a retainer. Now, I have found with clients, when I go in there and I do an analysis on something, it's just a slight little tweak. Is, is it worth it to them? Absolutely, because it would take them maybe five, ten years to figure or maybe not. But it may take them a year to figure out, six months, a year to figure out that one little tweak. Yeah. So you have to understand that, let's look at the iPhone, for instance. That one little tweak, the iPhone is a badge of honor now. That's why people spend $1,000 or more on an iPhone, to say that they have the new one. That's what it's really about. So the emotional association with that is far. People taking out credit cards for it, for God's sake. It's crazy. You know, you can get... The, the one the one year previous refurbished for one eighth the cost now because of how the market works, you know? So that's, that's what it is. So for instance, when I was working with the mortgage protection insurance, mortgage protection, if you don't know what that means is that if you die, if you have mortgage protection in, insurance and, and you die, that mortgage protection insurance takes care of your mortgage in its entirety. You know, nobody's paying a dime. So if you are, so it's perfect for somebody that's 65 or seven years old, 70 years old and they have a two still $200,000 mortgage. Maybe they've refinanced a few times. Well, say they die in the next 10, 15 years, which that's based on average ages. Well, that mortgage protection insurance wipes it out. Nobody has to pay for it. No, no next to kin, nothing. So is it valuable that's to somebody that's 35 and has a $250,000 mortgage? No, it's not. But is it value, valuable to somebody who's refinanced three or four times that's 70 years old and has a $100,000 mortgage? Yeah, because they're not going to pay it off in their lifetime. So what is the emotional sell? And that is to make sure they have taken care of their loved ones. And that is far more valuable to them than the premium that they will pay, which would be a couple hundred bucks a month. So that's how you position your product. You position your product, your offer, in a way that is more emotionally valuable than what they're going to spend. Can you talk about that from the perspective of a service? Because I work in a service economy with massage. Sure. We'll take just a quick break. Hey guys, it's Robert with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. We want you to know on our website currently, we have classes listed in Dallas, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Austin, Texas. In addition, we have a free trial subscription service. There's a vault subscription. There's 450 hours of my classroom instruction there. It is free for your first month. In addition, we have a live online interactive class coming up. If you are a Reboot Insiders Club subscriber, you get 50% off. You can find all of those options, including workbooks and DVDs, plethora of stuff available in our store at robertgardnerwellness.com. And I'm back with Thomas McGregor. Thomas, can you tell them where they can find you again? Uh, introduce your social media if you want them to follow you on Twitter or wherever. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm the most active. I, I feel that if you're a business owner, that's sort of kind of where like the action is. If you want to do a lot of connecting with other business owners, uh, that's sort of my demographic, really. And so I'm on LinkedIn. So you can just Thomas McGregor. Uh, Austin, Texas. So you'll, you'll find me there. Uh, and then you can go to our website, which is the Actus Group. Actus is, is Latin for action. So A-C-T-U-S group.com. You can find a bunch of stuff there as well. 
Nice. So just before we went to break, I was asking you to kind of frame it from a service, not a product. Right. Um, because I'm in the massage industry, there's a lot of massage therapists who listen. Um, even the notion of building emotional resonance into their brand is something that's new. Can you think of other service-related industries where you've dealt with something like this? Yeah. So services are great because you can tailor. This is the cool thing about when it comes to positioning and optics, the way your 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 service comes off to people. Um, the cool thing is you can tailor a lot of your services to the individual needs of the person. So unless you have a bunch of employees, let's just say, for instance, you're a single service owner. You're the person that books the appointment and does the work. You don't have anybody else doing it. The cool thing is everybody that comes through your door, you have the ability to really customize their experience. So here's one suggestion, very, very slight change in something that you can do that will also position you as somebody that cares and is professional and will allow you to customize the experience. So let's say you are somebody that's a massage therapist or you work in sports medicine. You have individual clients that come in on a daily basis. What you can do is when they come in, the first thing you do is you ask them this sentence and you say, what do you want? Now, it seems very simple. But they've been thinking of this whole week before they've come in about something they really want done. Now, a lot of places will offer questionnaires. I think that's too drastic. If you're a massage therapist, just ask them, what hurts? What hurts with you? What's, what's hurting with you right now? Now, a lot of people don't do this. I've gotten massages before where they just don't ask any questions. A lot of them do ask questions and it's complicated. You got to circle parts of your body and it's like, I don't even know. I just know my back hurts right now. And you sit down with them and treat it like a consultative visit. So my suggestion is in the very beginning, spend five, six, 10 minutes out of your time, literally sitting down with them and asking them, what are the things, what's going on in your life? Not, you don't want to pry, of course. Are you eating all right? Are you drinking enough water? Start thinking in a holistic part of your job. Are you walking? Are you exercising? Are you sleeping okay at night? Because then what could happen is you're going to find problems that maybe they wouldn't have mentioned before. And maybe you have a supplement you can offer them. Not necessarily for an upsell, but what you're doing is you're positioning yourself as a consultant more than just a therapist. Great little story. There's this guy who supposedly last year sold the record number of cars in the United States, something like 2000 in a year or something like that. He was a very charismatic guy. He was on like Fox business or something. And this, this, this interviewer said, you know, what, what is your kind of secret? He goes, the consumer is really smart these days. They can do a lot of research online. I approach it from a consultative position. And when they come in, I help guide them to exactly what you, what they want. And that's the same approach that you really have to take these days. So my suggestion is ask them, what do you want? What's going on in your life? That's going to position you as an expert. That's going to position you more of a doctor. And that's going to position you as being caring, which you do. You do care. But they don't know that. Something to also remember, and I, and I deal with this a lot when it comes to civic leaders, is you have a lot in your head. You really care about your customers. You really want to do the best job. But your customers actually don't know that until they A, see it, or B, you say it. So also remember to actually say, look, I care about how you're feeling. Tell me what's going on. What do you want? And they say, oh, I've been on my feet all week. And you spend the majority of the time or maybe more time focusing on their feet. And here's the magic to this. There's one more icing to this. When they've mentioned that and you acknowledge it and you get in the room and you're working on them and you go to work on their feet, they're going to remember that you asked that question. They're going to remember that they brought it up and you listened to them. So then it has this compounded psychological effect on them because they told you what they wanted. You listened, you acknowledged, and then you did it. That's going to immediately enhance the amount of credibility that you have and value. When you, when you think of um, connection, it's a big thing I stress to my students. Um, you address it in a very different way than I would necessarily. Like some of your language is slightly different, but I really tell my students, listen, you have to make eye contact with the people who come in and not sit and look at a piece of paper. Right. You actually have to talk to, like if you came to see me, Thomas, I'm like, hey, what are you having a problem with? 
And then we kind of proceed from there, even though I've got soap notes and information. If I make it feel less clinical um, right. and more connected, I build a stronger bond and rapport with that potential client, which leads to potential rebooking, right. where they want to come in again because they can't just go get an anonymous massage that's the same. They actually have connected with you. What do you see about the difference between brand and personal brand? Well, the thing, the interesting with that, you know, my head was buzzing as you were talking. And the interesting thing about that is this, is when it comes to personal brand, when it comes to that personal touch, people want to feel, and this is the magic with Apple and that whole situation and how they do their marketing. People want to feel like they're part of something that is unique and tailored towards them. And they are more likely to actually spend more money on something like that. Now, how do you make a big apparatus feel like that? And I don't mean huge, but like just a business. Like if you have a brick and mortar, your massage therapy studio, and you, you know it's kind of you know, it's not really something that's you know you want to you want to find a happy medium between being an in-home therapist and somebody that has a brick and mortar, and how you do that, how you position yourself, is taking that extra time and sitting down and saying, "Hey, Jim or Jane or whatever their name is," say, "Hey, listen." tell me what's going on and you get close to them and you talk to them and you work out the issues because as you know, a lot of muscle tension and a lot of body stress built up is done in, is from stress, right? So that a lot of that tension is built up from stress. So then what's going on with you? How can I help you? And they say this, that, and the other, and you really do help with that. That's going to make that personal connection even more real because this is what people is look. This is what everybody's looking for when it comes to marketing and branding and buying stuff and, People are looking for somebody to listen to them and respond to exactly what they ask for. I'll say that again. People are looking for other for business owners and product and service providers to listen to them and then respond to exactly what they ask for. So if they say, look, my back's killing me, boom, you got to work on that, obviously, right? But they're looking for that connection. So when you sit down and say, hey, what's going on? And you build that rapport on a very, very deep level. That's what people are really looking for, and that's going to increase your repeats. But Ooh. the difference between that and something that's clinical is when you're behind a piece of paper. You have to remember, yeah. again, I yeah. think the main takeaway here is put yourself in their position. What would you like? What would you yeah. want? How do you see yourself doing that? I, I purposefully crafted my services based on my needs, which were in chronic pain, and I focused on clients with that. And, and it's interesting to me because it makes me realize I hear from other massage therapists who are working in large big box chains or various things, and it feels like they're having a commodity problem because they're trying to sell a massage, not a unique service. Right. They're trying to, you know, factory farm sort of this service instead of be unique and individual. And right. it's so interesting to hear you talk about it because I feel like organically I picked up pieces of that. And that's why I've had such a strong resonance with the clients that I work with because mm -hmm. the, the being tailored to them, I just go, well, well that's what you do, right? And it's like, no, that's not what they're doing. <laughs> they're just doling out yeah. the sequence they were taught in school instead of actually responding to Thomas and his specific issues. Right. We need to uh, cut to break one more time. Hey guys, it's Robert with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I want you to know there's a live interactive training coming up. I believe it's on February 11th, 18th, and 25th. You're going to work live interactively with me for six hours of CE credit. It is $100 unless you are subscribed to the Reboot Insiders Club. We're going to give it to you 50% off. If you want to subscribe to that, the Reboot Insiders Club is absolutely free on my website in the store, robertgardnerwellness.com. Also, if you're looking for in-person classes, currently we have uh, Dallas, Austin, and Fort Smith, Arkansas. I'm working on further dates. If you're looking for any materials, reference materials, time massage, whatever, you can go to robertgardnerwellness.com in the store. Hey, I'm back with Thomas McGregor. Thomas, can you tell them uh, where they can find you again? Sure. Yeah. You can look up Thomas McGregor, Austin, Texas on LinkedIn. I really love LinkedIn. There's a lot of great stuff on there. You're also you know, prone to do some more connecting with people on there. So I, I, I really use that a lot. And then you can find our business at the Actus Group and that's A-C-P-U-S dot com. <laughs> 
Very nice. So continue what you were saying about that uh, branding process, the sort of tailoring personalization. Well, and I want to kind of grow on that because in the last segment, what we were really talking about is how to tailor it on a, if you're a service provider that really handles the one-on-one. So then the bigger question is like, how do I grow that? You know, how do I grow that? Well, that's when you start building a company culture around that consultative approach. But also you have to make sure that everybody that works for you understands that need for care and individualization. People want custom now. They, they know with the internet, there's every option in the world. So they can get up and leave anytime they want. You know, and so they say that the biggest, the biggest leverage in negotiation is the ability to walk away and wait away from the table. Well, people can do that now because they're like, well, if you can't quite do exactly what I need you to do, I'm going to go and find somebody else. And that's okay. So as you start positioning yourself in that consultative way and you just help guide people to the natural place that they want to be in, and you start growing, wanting to grow that, you have to establish company guidelines. you got to actually have to start being a little, if I dare say, clinical about the company processes and how they're implemented with your employees. In other words, if they're required to sit down with a person for five, ten minutes before their session, make sure that they're doing it in a way that's warm and inviting exactly the way you would do it. Again, here's the main thing that you have to remember. You have to see it from their point of view, the customer's point of view. If you were the customer, would this be exactly what you were looking for? And is that person listening? So when you're training an employee and they're doing their first client and they're going through those steps that you've set into motion, the consultative approach where it's nice and tailored to that customer, kind of think of yourself not from a boss standpoint, but from the customer standpoint. If I were that customer, how would that make me feel? That's the question you got to ask. There's many, many times when I have uh, taken a slight loss, uh, say with retail or something, because a customer writes me, we had a product and, you know, the coupon code didn't work or the digital this or that. And they write me an email because I'm doing our our customer service currently. And I just go in the email, I go, hey, Stephanie, listen, I just want you to be happy. Here's uh, two options I can do to help you with this. I can just comp you those digital materials or I can send you physical goods or whatever. I really just want you to be happy with what you've purchased. And then they'll write me back and say, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll take this option or whatever. When I turn it around instead of like, I need more money, Stephanie. I need more money. I need more money. And I turn it around into like this connection with that potential student. The difference is... I think they are more likely to come back and buy other services or retail items from me because they felt like I actually cared about them and their experience with the business. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, here's the magical thing that you can do. It doesn't matter if you're a business owner, a civic leader, a small business owner, uh, you have a mom and pop, you, you sell stuff at farmer's market. It doesn't matter. The cool thing about business in general is Every single time, unless you're in a room full of customers, and even still, every single time is a one-on-one interaction. And so it takes the poise and the foundation of the business owner to be present in the moment and say, I'm going to handle this person in an individual fashion. So a lot of, I see some, this happens sometimes with big organizations where they kind of treat every single customer the same. How many people here have called the 1-800 number for the company and been treated like every single every single person in the queue, right? But as a small to medium business owner, maybe even some of the larger ones, you have a special, I think, obligation and opportunity to treat each and every single person individually. And to say passively, in a passive way, I hear that you have a problem. I hear your challenges. Let me fix those for you. That's going to resonate because the moment they try to go somewhere else and get caught up on a 1-800 number, they're going to come back to you. When I talk to massage therapists, and again, that's my industry, I feel like they're being a a service provider instead of a problem solver. And I say, well, okay, listen, if the person comes in and they want relaxation, solve that problem. If the person is looking for pain relief, you need to solve that problem. If you just try to dole out the single Band-Aid that always looks like the same massage, that's not going to be for that specific client. 
increasing that connection, increasing the rapport, and increasing the fact that it's about this connection between you and the consumer seems to have worked in the business model that I've structured it for. But I wonder how it is for other massage therapists who are struggling. Well, I mean, I will say say that that is the almost the essence of positioning and optics in general when it comes to business, corporate, and, and, and civic life. So when you take that consultation to consultative approach and you see it more of a problem solving situation instead of a service, the service provider, what you're doing is you're literally positioning yourself as more of a friend. Think about it. So if you have a problem, you blow a tire at two o'clock in the morning, you call your friend, your friend, you have a problem. What does your friend do? The friend said, well, I have a tire service. No, no, your friend hops in the car and comes help, helps you, hopefully. And what is that? That's a problem solver, somebody that helps with a very immediate and serious problem, right? So what you're doing, and this is what I say to a lot of folks, this is what I, uh, when we work with corporate folks, especially ones that are like ones in sales and stuff like that, we say, you have to approach this like you're kind of, you have to position yourself kind of like a doctor, diagnose the problem, ask more questions, find a solution and have multiple available. Exactly what a doctor does. How are you feeling? Why do you feel like that? You know, what have you changed anything in your diet? Okay, after reading the report, here are a couple options. So when it comes to a service provider and you and you start using your service more of more like you said, a problem solving situation where you're literally you're literally positioning yourself more of a friend. And who are they gonna go to? Who are they gonna refer? It's gonna be a friend over somebody that's just real clinical and businessy. Yeah. You know, it's just a lot different. Well, if I say within some industries, uh, I know this is with, it's like this within mine. There are certain catchphrases, like if we talked about networking. So you and I, Thomas, met through the Austin Entrepreneurs Group on Facebook. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I said, hey, yeah, sure. Come on, Thomas, let's have a conversation. I uh, wasn't even exactly sure of exactly where you positioned yourself in business. Networking gets a bad rap. When people think of a networking meeting, they think of like start shirts and business cards. And yeah. it's like, no, it, it's me talking to Thomas and saying, listen, you, you run a business. Thomas, can I help you with anything? I do the same thing with every other business owner. And it's just a business owner goes, man, I need an accountant. And I go, well, let, right. me, let me check around and see if I can find if my accountant is like looking for people. If I can position myself to be of service to someone, they're much more likely to want to do business with me because, again, it feels like you're not treating them like a commodity. Right. You're not treating them as like you're, – you're another dollar to me, Thomas. No, no, no. It's about actual connection. The well, connection I have with you in networking might not manifest money for years to come. Right. Well, and what I was just going to say is, I mean, think you got to play the long game. So you got to play the long game with networking. You got to play the long game with your clients and you have two ways you can go about this. You can either see somebody as a commodity and suffer diminishing returns. That's, that's just what's going to happen. Or you can see somebody that you can offer a solution to, to their problem and enjoy increasing returns because what's going to happen is when you network with people, or you work with your customers on a very personal level and you offer them all this stuff that might help them, even if you don't know their direct problems, just like, here's a bunch of stuff that's really helped me. I hope you enjoy that. I give books and I give contacts out all the time for that exact reason. Like, try this, try this. You know, this really helped me. This guy was really nice to me. This guy's a great at this and, you know, all this sort of stuff. You start weaving that stuff together and eventually, guess what? It's going to come back to you. And that's not why you should do it. You should do it because you want to be of service. And when it comes to your customers, if you treat them the same way, when they leave, and let's say they've just have, have been trouble, you know, trouble breathing at night, and that's why they haven't been sleeping well. Maybe that's why their back is tense. When they leave, you say, here's some eucalyptus oil. Rub this on your chest before you go to bed. You're all of a sudden, you know, a saint, you know, if they actually sleep well. Or here's some I mean, they're, they're going to feel like they're indebted to you. And that's not the point. The point, again, is to come from a very service-oriented uh, point of view. And, uh, yeah. and that positions you more as a friend. Again, somebody just wants to help them out. We'll take another quick break. 
Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. Listen, if you want to study with me online, you do not have to be in my physical presence. We have a great upcoming course, interactive online education. You're going to give and receive with a colleague in your area. You're going to broadcast this on a big screen. I'm going to work with you for two hours. Somebody's going to give and receive. That's on February the 11th, 18th, and I think 25th. That's all in our store on robertgardnerwellness.com. We also have a subscription service. It's free for your first month. You can unsubscribe at any time. In addition, I've got workbooks, DVDs, and upcoming in-person classes in Dallas, Austin, and Fort Smith, Arkansas. Again, you can find all of those at robertgardnerwellness.com. Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast, and I'm here with Thomas McGregor. Uh, Thomas, can you tell them where they can find you again? Sure, yeah. You guys can find me on LinkedIn. Just search Thomas McGregor, kind of like Connor McGregor, and I'm not allowed to say if I'm related or not, but same last name spelled the same way. On LinkedIn, just look under the Austin. You'll see me. You'll recognize me. And then you can find our business at the Actus Group, Actus spelled A-C-T-U-S, group.com. Great. So in our last segment here, what, what's uh, something you want to jump into? What's, uh, what's kind of eating at you that you think the audience uh, should understand or things that like uh, not get to you, but what gets you excited? What topics are you interested in sharing with potential clients? Well, here, let's, 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 let's go ahead and talk about a small business owner's positioning in the marketplace. Um, I'm going to tell you one of the best things that you can do that's not going to cost you very much money at all. Um, and that is to really go out into the community with your branding. You might, the business not, might not even be, be going yet. Maybe you're just thinking about starting it, or maybe you've had an in-home practice as a massage therapist or a health and wellness person. Now you want to really grow something. Well, take, take your concept, make a brand out of it, color, name, the whole nine yards. Then take it out and ask people this question, not what do you think? Ask, how does this make you feel? So take maybe a three by five card size of your logo, the name, maybe your slogan or motto and take it out. Go to a farmer's market and say, hey, look, I'm not pitching. I'm not selling anything. I'm thinking about starting this new business. How does this first first comes to mind? How does this make you feel? And that will ensure that you're transferring how you feel about your business and what you want to convey through your service is being conveyed through that first initial interaction, which is your branding. So many times, this isn't really eating at me, but maybe a little bit on a professional level. So many times I go to somewhere, like maybe a restaurant or maybe it's even somebody at the farmer's market, which I adore going to, and their brand doesn't quite match the way their product or service makes me feel. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it kind of makes a little bit of a disconnect. It makes it also hard to remember. You have to also... Think about and remember that your branding is the thing that's going to stick in their mind. Your subconscious works on images and emotions. So if you think about Apple, we think about literally the Apple logo and the, and the way the iPhone looks. You don't think about all the features. Maybe that's a secondary thought. But when we think about remembering about what we really love, we think about how it makes us feel. Think about the last best meal that you had. How, how amazing it tasted, uh, how it made you feel, how the, the restaurant was really fun to be in. Those are things that are going to stick with you. And if the branding is aligned with that and matches that, next time you drive by, you're going to remember that feeling. So your branding, this is what I'm getting to here, your branding is literally a mental trigger to the feeling of your brand. So you're looking to start a business. You got it all taken care of. You got the marketing or not the, you know the logo and the colors and everything on something about the size of a three by five card, take it out, take it to friends and family. Don't try to influence them or set it up. Just say, look, I'm looking to start a business. How does this make you feel? First thought, then build your, and then take some notes, take a little survey. That'll put you far ahead of the competition because you're going to get people coming in based on that feeling of what that does for them. And then also the people that do come in, it's going to match that feeling the next time they see it. You give them a coupon, you give them an email with a logo, they're going to remember that triggered feeling, and that's the key. When we work with civic leaders, we try to link the logo with the way the candidate makes the audience feel. And the image of the, you know, how that person, as, as an image, 
how their image makes the audience feel. When you can connect it and then they see them on television or they see something in the paper about that person, it's a trigger. It's a mental trigger. Like, oh, that person really connected with me. And that's kind of what you want. And that's exactly what you want to do with your own brand. But go out and take surveys. It's really easy. Costs nothing. No, but I have to talk to people. <laughs> oh, well, if you want to build a business, you got to talk to people. This will put you yeah. far, far ahead. And if, and if you have a current brand, you should do that periodically. If, you're, if your business starts to change a little bit, do it internally with your own customers. Say, hey, how does this make you feel? How does this make you feel? Because branding and marketing is about that mental trigger about how it makes you feel. Our branding and marketing is very corporate because that's who we appeal to. And that's, we, that's who we really work with. Everybody from small business owners all the way up to top civic leaders and civic organizations. But we work on a very professional, corporate-y level, which we love. I love. I work with a lot of lawyers. I have lawyers on retainer. You know, we have PR people. You know, it's great. But that's, that's our industry, right? So that's what you have to kind of ask about. Ask your audience, how does this make you feel? Not what do you think about it? Oh, those are cool colors. No, how does it make you feel? Does it get you excited? Is it warm and inviting? What is the feeling that you're looking to portray? Here in Austin, Texas, we have this place called the Oasis. It's this great place. It's on Lake Travis, beautiful views. And their logo is the O with the Oasis. And it's literally a small little sunset. And it's perfect because they are called, they're coined the sunset capital of Texas. And when you go out there, it, it, it's, it's a beautiful because it sets right behind the water on Lake Travis. And it's a beautiful environment. They serve margaritas and Tex-Mex food. It's really a lot of fun. Interesting thing about that is every time you see that logo, that's what it triggers. Emotional connection. It's really making me think about uh, smaller service providers in my industry. I'm really wondering like what their feedback is going to be from the discussion because I don't see as much of this level of thinking. It's one of the reasons why as we've continued with the podcast, talking to people in different industries kind of opens up. Uh, new vistas of potential for branding within the massage and bodywork marketplace. Um, what are some other um, businesses that you uh, deal with or what are some businesses that you see that maybe you think they need to work on their marketing? Are there any specific industries do you feel like are running an older model from like 1980? They haven't really evolved much. No, most of them, but no, <laughs> before, before I get into that, let me, let me say this and let me just kind of play more to your, your, your massage health oriented folks. When, when it comes to your branding and marketing, don't try to be clever. And I think when it comes to the emotional connection of your brand, of your logo and maybe your slogan or your motto, don't try to be clever. Ours is positioned to win. Simple. When it comes to your colors and, and the shapes that you use in your logo, be simple about it. It needs to be palatable. Remember, you need to be able to remember it. You know, it needs to be rememberable. You know, so really look at what you're doing. Ask people how it makes them feel, but make sure not to get too crazy with it. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be over the top. It has to be simple. And I think that's that's what I'd want to speak to when it comes to your type, the folks that you know mainly listen to what you do. And that is, just be simple about it. You know what it feels like. Don't don't try to overplay it. You know what it feels like. Put that feeling into that. And then when it comes to what industry needs to probably update, I don't know. I, I would have to say uh, every industry probably has somebody still stuck. You know, I mean, the advertising industry um, is now changing because there's now a lot of online marketing companies. Um, but the advertising agency probably needs to start stepping up their game, especially newspapers and radio. Yeah. But um, as far as marketing and branding and positioning is concerned, when you're, when you're putting that stuff together, make sure you're updating it with the times. Perfect example of updating it with the times is Apple. Perfect example of updating with the times is Coca-Cola. Perfect. I mean, they've done away with the polar bear almost entirely, right? That's kind of an 80s, 90 thing, you know? Perfect example of updating throughout time, Nike. All the big brands do it. That doesn't mean you can't. So look at the trends, look at the colors, uh, how does it make you feel? Keep it simple. Don't try to be clever. And then as things progress, kind of update it a little bit. Keep the same feel, but update it a little bit. That's what I would say for sure. Yeah. It's sort of incremental growth. 
Yeah, very. Yeah, and if you really look at it, if you look at all the things that, if you look at all the things that have updated over time, like Coca Cola, Apple, it has been ever so slight. They don't completely change the logo. Like now, Apple is literally just a silhouette, right? It's just yeah. literally a silhouette. Before it was like a glossy, you know, a glossy rounded thing. Before that, it was kind of multicolored. You know, they just they take the same concept. They know what it, they know what trigger. They know what trigger it is in the emotions of your mind. They just update it. Just keep current. Same with Coca Cola. I mean, their design is super sleek, and you know now they're doing you know energy drinks and they, they have the the seltzer now and all sorts of stuff. They're updating the brand. So as you add new products and stuff like that, the key here is to don't try not to get clever. You know that perfect example is Bento Picnic here in town. If you're ever in Austin, Bento Picnic is where to go for a really good lunch. Um, and I'm not getting in, you know paid to endorse them or anything. I just love them and see I'm being a brand messenger for them because it matches so well. But it's so simple. Brent, bento picnic. Everybody knows what a bento box is, and it's a picnic. And picnic is really nice and light and fun. Their logo is a, a red and white circle with white letters that says bento picnic. Super simple. Don't have to be clever. What are some other local like Austin brands that you're very impressed with? Well, see, I love Bento Picnic for sure. Okay. Uh, another one that I like here in town, let's see. Um, let me see. What places that I love to go. So Bento's good. That's on the east side over there. Um, I love, well, I mean, Kirby Lane Cafe. It's, it's another restaurant. It's a 24-hour joint. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Actually, that's a very good, if you ever, any of your folks want to do a nice case study on strategic positioning and marketing over the years look up kirby lane cafe i would google something to the effect of kirby lane cafe logos over the last 20 years they've been here for a long time the owner or the owners grew up on a not too far from where i live here actually a place which they grew up in a place called kirby lane and they started this restaurant which is a 24-hour joint thing kind of like an upper scale um uh, denny's or ihop it's it's upper scale they have seasonal options and stuff like that but they have modernized, and it looks amazing. Uh, they used to have kind of the old diner style, but then they modernized in the last, let's see, a couple of years, and it looks amazing and feels really cool too. So that's the key. So when they modernize, it feels really cool. still feels hip, relaxed. They still got the vibe, but it's updated. So it feels fresh and alive, and that's what you got to really pay attention to. Another one outside of that is um, – well, half price books, but that's not really a local local half prices everywhere. But they've stayed current with the times. They're currently updating some of their marketing and branding too. So that's that's really fun to see. I'm trying to think what else. Um, well, Whole Foods is technically started here, and they've updated updated over and over and over again. So there, there's both small medium brands. There's a place downtown i work a lot downtown called irene's it's a coffee shop and um like a little uh gastropub they've done an amazing job at branding um and inside they they have like airplane doors that have rusted and been painted over on their walls and then lights in the middle where the uh the um the window would be in the airplane it's really cool so it's kind of hip and relaxed uh, so there's a lot of cool places. Just and my suggestion is to your 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 viewers and your listeners here when you're when you're driving around, take note of what you see, and see okay okay well I've seen that place before. They haven't updated. They, they how does it make me feel? You know, go around, drive around, look. It's there for the taking, and it's very obvious. And so you can say if you see an insurance agent's office, it's not going to be updated, and it's not going to make you feel very good. But if you see a restaurant that maybe is brand new and has some vibrant colors and makes you feel excited go i should go check that place out bingo there's some clues for you there it's really interesting yeah it's really interesting to look at it across markets uh thomas i've had a great time chatting with you um i'd love to have you on again in the future if there's more like specific topics that you go like to go over um let's go ahead and arrange that after the podcast can you tell everybody where they can find you one last time absolutely sure i can so go to linkedin if you're not on LinkedIn, I highly recommend it just for networking purposes. You can type in Thomas McGregor, Austin, Texas, and that's you're going to find me there. And then you can go to our website, which is theactusgroup.com.
Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner Wellness with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. Again, that live interactive class is coming up in February. We have a completely free for your first month subscription service. It's $7 a month. After that, you can unsubscribe at any time. Also, if you're looking for classes, DVDs, merchandise, retail related to Thai massage, you can find all of that and more on my website at robertgardnerwellness.com. Thank you so much for the support of the podcast. And if you want to follow me on any social media, usually RG Wellness, I think TikTok and Snapchat, uh, Robert G Wellness 12 on Instagram. I think it might be RG Wellness or Robert G Wellness on Twitter. You can find me online. I'm very active across my social media platforms. Whenever you follow me there, please write me. If you're on Instagram, video message me. I'd love to chat with you if you have any specific questions. You can always like, uh, comment, and subscribe to the podcast as well, wherever you find us online. We're on Anchor and Spotify, which are, I think, our more primary channels, but we're across the internet, wherever you pick up podcasts, like and subscribe and follow us.